Welcome to Body Truth. I'm your host, Caitlin Parsons, and I'm thrilled you're here. In every episode, you'll hear inspiring stories, explorative conversations, and advice from experts in creative living, intuitive eating, psychology, body image, style, entertainment, and more. For additional resources and opportunities to work together, visit CaitlinParsons.com. But for now, cozy up and join me in the quest for creating a more thoughtful and enriched life. Hello, welcome back to our little podcast community. I am your host. That feels so dumb to say. I'm not your host. I'm your friend, Caitlin Parsons. I'm so excited that we are hanging out today and that you are getting to meet my guest, Deanna Joy from Joy Knows How. You might already know her. This might be your first time meeting her. Regardless, she is a powerful human being with a lot of knowledge to share, a lot of wisdom to bestow, and a really, really powerful story to um, to tell. So I'm really excited to have her on today. We are talking all about multi-passionate creativity, something very near and dear to my heart because I certainly consider myself a multi- multi-passionate creative. I'd be willing to bet that you probably do too. And if you don't, I, I'd be interested to see if you feel like you would call yourself multi-passionate, a multi-passionate creative by the end of my conversation with Joy today. I actually think that most of us, if not all of us, are multi-passionate creatives. It really just is on a spectrum and shows up in different ways. And it's a matter of how we express or suppress our creativity and um, manage our emotions and our time and and all of these things. All of these things that Joy is so uh, skilled at talking about and uh, has experience with and is really just an expert in. So I was really excited to talk to her. I think you're really going to get a lot out of this conversation. Let me tell you a little bit more about Joy, our guest, and her full name is Deanna Joy, but she goes by her, her middle name, Joy. So I'll be referring to her as Joy in our conversation and for the rest of this intro. But Deanna Joy, who goes by her middle name Joy, is a coach for multi-passionates and host of the Multi-Passionate Mastery podcast. She believes having many passions is a gift, not a burden, and is on a mission to rewrite the narrative around choosing one thing being the only path to success. Through her signature coaching program, podcast, and content, Joy teaches creatives from all walks of life how to create clear priorities and bring their ideas to life on a completely stress-free timeline. We talk about Joy's personal body image story in this conversation, really how she navigated conflicting messages around her body and how she created her own self-acceptance. It's a really powerful story, like I mentioned before. We also get into how she decided to leverage her many passions rather than looking at them as a burden her signature three-part focus framework, and how human design has played a role in her success, Joy's experience hitting burnout, what she learned through the process, and how how she's shifted. Decision-making, 
how we can each build this skill more effectively, deciphering social conditioning versus what works best for you when it comes to a work schedule, what it means to date your ideas, and why it's so valuable for multi-passionate people. And we also talk about Joy's relationship with her body now and how her foundational self-beliefs transfer into the work that she does today. Joy is really fun to talk to. She is a wealth of knowledge, like I mentioned. I have no doubt you will walk away feeling inspired. The thing that I really took away from our conversation, and I really can't wait to have her back. I actually, we mentioned that at the end of our chat together, but there's definitely going to be a part two in the next year. So be sure to stay tuned for that. But what I really took away from our talk is feeling so seen in my multi-passionate creativity. And, you know, this is something that I personally have felt so defeated with in the past. I felt like I, I, it was a burden just like joy has a similar, um, a similar part of her story that is aligned with that as well too. But, you know, I felt so many times like the passions and the ideas and, the projects that I pursue, I start them and then they fizzle out or I start too many of them at once and get burnt out or I'm not smart enough to know how to execute effectively um, or like I'll never actually be successful in one thing because I'm interested in so many things. So if you identify with any of that, you're really not alone. And the thing that I have just really taken away from the conversation that I had with joy is feeling so seen with that, but also feeling like I have really tools um, to move forward with, with all of my creativity and my passions and the things that I'm really interested in, in life personally and professionally. Um, And the belief system around that, which is so important for everything. We talk a lot about that in terms of our our beliefs around our bodies and how our environment influences that in the podcast in general. So I know that that theme is probably not new to you if you've been in this community for a while. And it's really interesting how that is also relevant for the topic today. Our beliefs around ourselves as multi-passionate creatives, the environments that really foster that versus um, holding us back from that. So, so much juicy things that we are about to get into. I'll be sure to link everything in the show notes, all the ways that you can connect with joy, the things that we talk about, the transcript, if you prefer to read our conversation or just check out some fun pictures of joy in that transcript too. Um, and of course, the body acceptance starter kit. If you haven't downloaded that, be sure you do. There are so many just fun goodies in there to get started in your own acceptance journey around your body. Um, podcast episodes, articles, reflection questions. It's a lot of fun. I wanted to, I wanted that kit to feel like a party for anybody who opened it up, uh, whether you felt ready to do it now or in the future. So it's there for you to feel inspired, to feel like you had an accept in your own acceptance journey whenever and if ever you are ready, I'll link that in the show notes too. But for now, enjoy getting to know joy, no pun intended. 
maybe I did intend that. I don't know. I'll talk to you later. Bye. Deanna Joy, hi. Welcome to the show. Thank you for being here. Hi, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited about the conversation that we get to have today. Me too. Me too. Let's jump right in because I have so many questions that I'm dying to ask you and I cannot wait to hear your story and get to know you. And the first question that we ask everybody who comes on the show is your first body awareness moment. So what did that look look like for you, that moment where you realized, I'm in a body and apparently this means something in the world that I'm living in. And also how did that moment impact your relationship with yourself, whether it was your body image or food or your mental health, just your body image story in general, what did that look like? So I developed really early. I started getting breast at nine. I started my menstrual cycle at nine, which is just like so early. So you know, I was aware that I was developing and, you know, I had a lot of what my mom would call like baby fat at that time where I just kind of became chubby almost as I was like also simultaneously getting these really womanly qualities in my body. And I remember that once I went shopping with my father and I came out of the dressing room, it was maybe a pair of jeans or something and he made a comment about how I was filling out the jeans and it was really inappropriate and I've had conversations with him as an adult about the damage he did <laughs> um, to me as a kid by making inappropriate comments about my female body as a male I don't care if you're my father you don't get to make comments about my body it felt wrong right and so it was a combination of like feeling like I was maybe being sexualized a little bit like oh, you're filling out those jeans, like, and also feeling like I was being told that I had too much weight on my body. And it was shocking for him. And I think that's why he made the comment is he didn't, he never looked at me before and saw like, oh, wow, like, okay, let's get a bigger pair. Those are too tight. You're filling them out. And so I think he was going through his own awareness of my body. And he chose to vocalize it out loud. And it impacted me. And that started a cycle of, you know, so my parents are, they were never married. I should say I came, I came from a, a split household. So I had a very different experience with my mom, but for my father, that started a train of like, I was no longer allowed to eat ice cream. He enrolled me in like softball because he wanted to make sure that I didn't get fat. He made many more inappropriate comments about my body as I was growing up. And it was just like his own ego not wanting to have a chubby daughter. You know, um, he would say like, oh, I was just concerned about your health. But there, you don't need to make comments about someone's like physical appearance if you're concerned about their health. You can invite them into eating a certain way or take them on a hike, or right? You know what I'm saying? So sure. that that time with my father where he was becoming aware of my body and I was aware that he was aware really fucked me up. <laughs> like I was, you know, I, I remember crying to my mom and being like, am I fat? Like I'm ugly. What's wrong? And she's like, this is baby fat. This is what happens before you get hips. 
this is a part of being a woman. You're probably going to be a curvaceous woman, which I now am, you know, and she was like, you can eat whatever you want. Do not let your dad get to you. He doesn't understand. He's never been in a woman's body. Just ignore him. Let it roll off your shoulders. But of course, as a kid, it's really hard. Our parents have such a stronghold on our psyche throughout life, but especially when we're young and impressionable. And so I was in these two different households with two different parents who had two very different concepts of my body. My mom was just wildly accepting and empowering and just told me to basically not ever worry about it. And my father was concerned and wanting me to not be the size that I was um, as I was growing through. And, And it really did happen. I grew up, I got taller, you know, my weight distributed, and it just turned out that I had an hourglass shape, you know, and later in life, I saw that my mom was right. But there would be times where my weight always fluctuated up and down. I gain weight easily. And then if I start working out, you know, my body's like, oh, we're working out now. And then I'll just drop a bunch of weight. (laughs) And it kind of goes back and forth like that for me, at least. Um, And so I fluctuated between so many different sizes. I have been so many different sizes. I'd love to explore this. I've been um, just, I, I remember there's, very few times in my life where I've been unaware mm. of how much I weighed or or not necessarily, you know, I never had a really a scale. I was never paying much attention to numbers, but I would pay attention to how my clothes fit or if I was growing out of a size or things like that. And um, anytime I would gain weight, I would hear my father. Mm up until very recently i did a lot of therapy to heal around this so it doesn't impact me as much anymore i just decided that men don't get to comment about my body i that's just a standard that i've set now they don't there's no place for a man to have anything to say about my body period because you just don't know what it's like to live in a woman's body so you don't get to say (laughs) but it took time to get there and so you know, when I would be in a more, we can just call it fit, you know, maybe I was riding my bike when I was in college, riding my bike to class all the time. And I took up hula hooping and just these activities that organically sort of changed my physique, we can say, you know, oh, you look great, my dad. Mm. You look great. Whatever you're doing, keep doing it. But then if I gain weight, oh, like, oh, I see, like you gained a little, you know, it's just like, don't comment either way be quiet, (laughs) be quiet. And so that's something that I would say is, is my first body awareness moment that became a part of how I identified with being in a curvaceous, double C thick, um, hourglass shaped body throughout, throughout my life. I'm 33 now, almost 34. And so I would say from age nine up until about age 32, 32 is when I started therapy, that was the overarching theme was I have a body that changes a lot. And when there's more weight on it, that's not good. And I learned that from my father, which is yeah. unfortunate, but I think a lot of us have a similar story. I can, I mean, 
I, I totally agree. I think that there are so many people who are going to feel seen and heard and really understood in your story and have similar experiences, but this is your experience. And I, I really appreciate you sharing everything so transparently. And I have so, I mean, I have so much compassion for that, that moment in your life being nine years old and hearing that and, you know, I can understand that I have, I have similar experiences of that as a young kid in my own body, but the conflicting messages that's, that's tough for anyone. And I can only imagine how that impacted your relationship with yourself. And I'm so glad to hear that you're at a place now where it does feel different. The thing that I'm really curious about joy is how this, pattern of seeking approval from a body image standpoint has shown up in other areas of your life. Have you noticed that at all? Because that is such an impressionable age to hardwire that type of performance in and that that pleasing in general, especially as a woman. So have you noticed that in any other area of your life or has it kind of just been compartmentalized with your body? You know, I would say I didn't really have a desire to please my father. I wasn't like, let me get, maybe I should work out or, you know, get to a certain size so he'll be happy. I, I knew it was wrong for him to talk to me like that. I knew it was wrong for him to make me feel bad about it. I knew that um, he really didn't have a right to tell me what he thought of my body. I didn't have the language for it and I didn't have the resources to say, I know what I look like. I don't need your commentary. Right? Mm. I didn't have that. I didn't have those faculties at 12 and 13 and 15. But I didn't feel the need to please him. I most certainly, if anything, I was like rebellious. Mm. So I don't think it turned into any kind of pleasing pattern at all. But I will say I was in a relationship, not the one I'm in now, but the previous relationship that I had where I was dating someone and he was very into fitness. He was like, he would go to the gym and work out. And I'm a person who I'll take a dance class. I'll go on a nice long walk. I'll hula hoop, I'll roller skate, but I'm not going to the gym. It's just not my thing. Same. <laughs> <laughs> I hate like, <laughs> yeah, I'll do something like social that happens to involve movement, but I'm not going to the gym. Um, been there, tried it. Not for me. It is mm -hmm. what it is, you know? Um, or if I do go to a gym, I'm going to a class, you know, I'm not going to like equipment and hard metal things and all that. It's just not yeah. me. So, but I was dating this guy who was very into fitness and, you know, he had, you, you would, you could say he had a great body in terms of like, that would be the societal standard to me. He was into fitness and his body reflected that our bodies can sometimes just reflect like what we're into at the time. You know, like when I was hula hooping, I was like super chiseled waist and ab muscles and it's like okay yeah because there was something i was interested in in my life that created that when i was riding my bike to and from all my classes in college i had really defined muscular legs yeah because i was riding my bike all the time you know mm -hmm. um so i would say his body reflected what he was what he was interested in or whatever rather than just use the language of like oh he 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 was hot or something um but anyway we broke up and you know how sometimes during a breakup or an argument like i don't know i think this is more of a guy thing maybe i'm just biased but 
men tend to hold things in and have a harder time communicating. So then when like shit's already hitting the fan, that's when they let it all out. Like, well, you are this and that. And it's like, oh, finally, you're going to, now you're going to tell me all your feelings. Okay. (laughs) So he did that and he started talking about my weight. Yeah, you need to lose weight. You need to go back to hula hooping every day is what he said specifically. And I was like, why are you saying that? And he he's like, just you need to just start hula hooping. And I was like, are you are you commenting on my weight? Are you saying that I need to lose weight? Because we had been together for three years. And like I said, I'm a person who fluctuates and I had gained weight over time. And so he's like, you need to go back to that. And I want to be with someone who knows how to take care of themselves. And that stung and that hurt and it brought up all my father stuff, right? But when we broke up, I was like, okay, well, fuck you. And I started working out as like almost a rebellion. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like at home, I just started doing like Tracy Anderson method videos or something. I would do this one video that was just so hard that I would just do it every day and see if I could get a little bit further or like a few times a week. And I started to see a difference in my body, but I also started to feel really good that I was doing this for me, that I was doing this outside of my relationship with him. I wasn't doing it to please him because he was gone, but I noticed that I was doing it to rebel against him. Yeah. So, yeah. So as I entered my next relationship with my partner now, who I have also in this relationship, I mean, my body looks completely different now. Than it did than it did when we met in terms of I have a lot more weight I gained weight a lot of weight through the pandemic and you know I'm a, my body's different and he loves me so much and just always tells me I'm beautiful and sexy and it doesn't matter to him and I find that I have very little motivation to exercise because I have nothing to rebel against so you ask that question you know how has it shown up in my life in terms of pleasing people and I think for me it's what is my relationship with my body when I'm not rebelling? Mm. That's more of what it is for me. It's so interesting. I'm I'm so grateful that you cleared that up and uh, repurposed that question because that makes a lot of sense. Um, and also, it's it's really interesting too hearing the feedback that you were getting from your mom around that time that you were getting the messages from your dad and having her as an ally and somebody who was empowering you to really stand your ground and be in your own, your own body and your own space and, you know, defining boundaries. Um, even though, like you mentioned, you might not have had the, the language for it at that time. It sounds like she was really in your corner fostering that message of this really sacred identity for yourself as well too so and having that what a gift I mean what a true gift to have not just anybody but your mom in your corner who is really instilling that in you and that makes a lot of sense how um perhaps that kind of gave some fuel to the fire to to really amp the rebellion up even so yeah shout out to my mom yeah she was really great during that time and i've had conversations with my mom about my body as well when i've you know i've there's been times in my life where especially after 
being on lockdown and going through the pandemic and watching my body basically put on a cloak of safety, I think, in terms of the amount of weight that I gained in a short amount of time, it was like, clearly, I don't feel safe. And I'm armoring myself. That was, it's like obvious. Like, <laughs> you know, like if you just look at the circumstance, especially being a Black woman in America during this time where I just didn't feel safe. And I don't know that I would necessarily say I went to food as a source of safety. I eat pretty moderately. I would say I eat healthy enough, you know? Um, but I think that my hormones literally shifted to create more weight gain. I don't know this for sure, but it's intuitively what I feel. Mm -hmm. Also getting up in age and, you know, our bodies really do change around 30 or so as like, <laughs> I'm like, whoa, okay, it's different now, <laughs> you know? Um, <laughs> Joy, you sound so grounded with all of this, which I, I think is so uh, it's so incredible to hear. And I'm curious if you truly feel this way or if I'm just or if I'm just interpreting what you're saying in a different way. But you sound just really practical about your relationship with your body. And I'm curious how you would define your relationship with your body right now. What what would you say it's like today versus more of the troubling times when you were growing up. Yeah, you know, that's interesting that you're picking up on that. I I guess and I'm I'm actually shocked about how comfortable I feel even having this conversation. I do think that a year or maybe two years ago it wouldn't have quite felt like this when I was watching my body change a lot. Um and I don't always feel, I haven't always felt super grounded or I might feel okay in my body until I see a picture of myself, you know, and go, oh my gosh, that's what I look like now. Whoa. Okay. Uh, maybe I need to start going on more walks or maybe it's time to get that hula hoop out. You know, like I've definitely done that to myself. I've looked at my body and thought, oh, hell no, that can't be what I look like. That's not okay. Um, I've had moments where I've looked in the mirror and cried that I've that I'm this size because I remember being like I said I've been many different sizes in my life. And for me what has changed is pregnancy. You know, I'm I'm almost 8 months pregnant at this point. And for me pregnancy created an entirely different relationship with my body where I was no longer willing to criticize how my body looked because it was doing it's doing this amazing thing it's creating a life and mm. i know that you know i i, I want to be really sensitive here i know not everyone's body can do that and i'm so grateful i just feel so in awe of my body as i watch my stomach grow and i feel my baby kick and even the aches and the pains and the weird things that happen to your body. It's just fascinating to me and learning about birth and what happens with that and what contractions are actually doing. And I've just learned so much about my body from the standpoint of it being this miraculous thing that can create life that it's hard to now for me, it's hard for me to be like, Oh, but I just wish like my arms were more toned. It just feels trivial to me now. Because I see my body in such a different way as something that creates life. But I won't lie. I've had the thought, oh, I hope breastfeeding helps me lose weight. 
or like maybe like okay you know this will be a new start for me i'll have this baby and i'm gonna want to be active so that i can like take good care of him and run around with him when he starts to walk so i'm going to use that first you know six months before he's like really walking to like start getting back in shape i have thought about those things but it's more from the standpoint of what kind of mother do i want to be do i want to be a mother who cannot keep up with her one-year-old or her toddler at the park or do i want to be someone who has a certain level of physical stamina that i can really play with my kid and enjoy them for a long time that's the that's a huge difference to like you know i want to get back at my ex so i'm gonna have a hot girl summer and i'm gonna exercise and look really good you know it's just so i think it's part of it is just maturity and life circumstances helping me shift my perspective of we have these bodies that are miraculous and you know there's been many many times where i wish that i looked different or i wish that i looked how i did in the past and hadn't gained so much weight but through becoming pregnant through i was really sick in the beginning of my pregnancy and it was not fun and at that point i was just like please body like please, you know, like, let's get through this. And it really just shifted everything for me. I have nothing but compassion for myself and my body at this point in my life. Um, and that's like one of the gifts that I can say my child has given me before he even gets here, for sure. I, I love that so much. And this is just such a great example of the relationship that we all have with our bodies. I mean, you've just shared your story up until this point and we have chapters and chapters and probably chapters that we haven't even touched on that have really given all of us a glimpse of how your relationship with your body has shifted and changed and evolved um, and the history of it, like where some of these things come from. And so I, I think that's so amazing. And so inspiring that you're at this place now where you have a very intentional relationship with, with your body and yourself. Um, and I can't wait for this little baby to come into your life and for you to just shower all this empowerment on, on them as well, too. What an amazing place to be in to give birth. Couldn't be happier for you. Thank you. Yeah. I'm so excited about the whole birth experience at first i was freaked out i was like whoa this is gonna be so scary but the more i learn about it the more i realize like i'm i'm so excited i, mm -hmm. I want to feel it all and i just yeah i'm so excited about this ancient ancient journey that i have the privilege of going on it really is a privilege it is yeah yeah i'm, I'm excited for you i'm i really want to shift into the work that you're doing today because I'm really curious from hearing your story and getting to know you in the past 20 something minutes I feel like I have all these glimpses into the brilliant professional that you are today because it seems like you've just got this really I'll use the word grounded again like a grounded approach to life and I know you specialize in working with multi-passionate creatives. And now I can understand why, because it sounds like you are really attuned to um, just passions in your own life and how you're feeling about your own life and 
your relationships in general. And so how did you start getting into the work that you're doing today? And and maybe just give us a, a glimpse into how you show up and serve your community today and, and the coach that you are. Yeah, sure. So it all started with me being in my kind of mid twenties and wanting to have an answer to the question, okay, so what am I going to get serious about? What am I, what am I doing? <laughs> you know, um, a lot of <laughs> Something us kinda, I feel like we all go through. <laughs> exactly. Like we're all like, oh, okay, you know, high school's over or maybe I'm entering college and I'm figuring out a major. And it just feels like this time where we're supposed to make all these really big decisions. And then we kind of get a little older and we're like, I didn't know anything, you know, but yes. that's where I was. <laughs> and as I was, wanting to make these decisions or like, okay, so what, what's my life going to be like? What do I want to do? I realized that I was met with all these different options because I have a lot of different talents and a lot of different creative outlets. So there's one part of me that wants to be a singer, right? And just like tour and be making music all the time. There's another part of me that's a writer. There's another part of me that wanted to be at that time, a motivational speaker. I also was really into fashion. It was like, maybe I should go to fashion school. I loved home decor and thought about how cool it would be to be a buyer and to travel the world looking for unique items. And so I was having a really hard time picking anything. And then I would pick something, but I would feel like Mm, this isn't it or I would do it for a little while and then be like mm, this isn't it I remember at one time I even wanted to be a sign language interpreter because I learned ASL in high school so eventually I realized I don't think this whole like being an expert in one field and being dedicated to one thing for the rest of my life is for me it started to feel like this clearly isn't working because it shouldn't be this painful to like just choose what I want to do. But it was like gut wrenching. It was so hard for me. So I decided that I wasn't going to choose. This is that that rebellion, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was like, mm, I'm not going to choose. I'm going to choose myself. And I like to do a lot of different things and I'm good at a lot of different things. And I trust and I believe that I can make this work for me somehow. And then I came across that word multi-passionate creative. I think it was like, Marie Folio was being interviewed and the the you know the podcast host introduced her as a multi-passionate creative entrepreneur. And I don't even think I listened to the rest of the interview because all I needed to hear was the words multi-passionate creative. I was like, what? There's a word for this? <laughs> there are people like this? Get out of here. And so that was it for me. I decided then and there that I wasn't going to choose one thing. I would choose myself. After that, I started a blog as a way to create a safe space for me to have an outlet that I had complete creative control over and creative freedom to talk about anything that I wanted. And as I began to blog and write and just put my work out there and discover myself, I found that I kept coming back to wanting to write about being Mm multi-passionate, wanting to write about the creative process, wanting to give advice. And it kind of just opened up my world. I no longer felt confused. I no longer felt like I was flaky or that I would never be successful because I couldn't choose one thing. I really started to see, no, there's another way. And I might not have a clear example of it because there there aren't, I couldn't really find that many people like me, but I was like, I'm willing to figure this out. And from there, I, I felt like I had kind of 
crack some, some kind of code because I was so happy with my life, you know, and I was doing all these different things and they were meeting my needs in different ways. What were you doing? There was a, I was, I mean, I was blogging. I was also doing photography. So I would do product photography for folks. They'd send me products. I'd take really cool pictures um, or I would do like flat lays. I was selling stock photos. I had an Etsy shop where I was selling vintage stuff because I loved like that as well. Um, And I think at that time I was a nanny. So I was nannying to kind of make income. So I really wasn't depending on anything to like pay my bills. So it was just like this fun time. Mm -hmm. And I was also really passionate about childcare. I was was an amazing nanny. I was even really good at that because I love education and I love children. So I was doing a lot of different things and I just felt so fulfilled. I was like, this is fun, (laughs) you know? This is working for me. And there was a point where I realized I was feeling good and that wasn't enough for me anymore. I wanted to help other people get there. I wanted to help other multi-passionates break out of this feeling of I'm flaky, I'm wishy-washy, I can never focus on anything, I just can't choose something and therefore I won't be successful. I really was like, there's another way, if I can do this, anyone can. And from there, I wanted to start coaching. And that's how I became a coach. And I went back and forth with that. I was like, I don't know if I want to be a coach. Maybe I just want to have a course. I'm not sure if I want to work with people. I started off with one-on-one coaching and I found that to be pretty draining. And so it took me a while to find my sweet spot with that. Lots of trial and error. But where I landed is that I am now a life coach for multi-passionates. I coach through a group coaching experience called Prioritize and Thrive. And what I help my clients do is finally break free from the pressure of feeling like they have to do all the things at once. And I help them cultivate clarity through learning their human design Mm. and other modalities. And then we move into creating what we call a priority stack, which is just this way of deciding not to choose one thing, but what order you're going to do things in that's going to feel energizing and exciting for you. And then we learn how to focus to follow through so that you gain momentum on the priorities that you've set. And what it does is it takes, like I have a client right now who she had always wanted to launch a program. She spent two years saying she was going to launch this program after joining Prioritize and Thrive and going through the coursework and coaching with me, she launched it. And it was like, she, it was just like easy for her at that point. And so she took this dream off the shelf and it became a reality. And now she's moving on to the next thing. And so that's kind of like a, a real time example of how I help my clients. That starts with really, they feel so empowered to be held in a container by someone who also identifies as multi-passionate that they come in realizing nothing's wrong with them. And so that gives us a clean slate to create. And when you are no longer struggling with, how do I know what to focus on? How do I know which idea to take action on? What do I prioritize? Once those questions are answered, that's when your multi-passionate magic really gets to come out because you're not using all of your mental faculties to problem solve. You're using it for your creativity. And that's, that's ultimately what I help my clients do. It's oh my God. Freaking best. Joy. <laughs> so, so cool. I have a million questions. And the thing that I think is like the most exciting in my brain right now, after hearing your story is Yes, this makes so much sense for you after getting to know you like 
you are the type of person it seems like where this shows up in all of your areas of your life. And especially with your body image story, you gave so many examples of sometimes I want to move my body this way. Sometimes I want to hula hoop. Sometimes I want to go for a hike. Sometimes I want to ride my bike. Sometimes I'm this size. Sometimes I'm that size. Sometimes I like this food or that food and just giving yourself full permission to not make it mean anything about you and to explore all of these passions and all of these areas and and learn from it and allow and allow it to walk beside you rather than ahead of you or far behind you. And it sounds like you like you're walking your talk just with all of these areas of your life. And now the uh, the profession that you've chosen, really. So it's so cool to it's so cool to hear that. And I'm also curious, first of all, what's your human design? Because I love human design and I'm always fascinated by what people are. Do you mind sharing? Oh yeah. Oh no, I'm happy to share. So I'm a two, four emotional manifester. Um, if you want to get even more granular, I'm a quad left. So I love structure. (laughs) I'm very like regimented and structured. That's why I'm able to create a method for prioritizing because that's how my brain works. And that's why I'm able to create so many teachable frameworks because I'm a quad left. And so I think in terms of structure and repeatable processes. And I have eight defined centers and only my sacral is undefined. And it's a sacral mirror, which means that has not even a single gate defined. So part of why my energy comes across as very grounded is that I have eight defined centers. Mm. um, And then I have a right angle cross of rulership. So lots of queen energy in there. And yeah, that's my human design. I love human design. I'm happy to talk about it. (laughs) I love it too. We had Erin Claire Jones on the show, I think like 10 or 15 episodes back. And um, she did a really great job of just like breaking that down. So I'll link that in the show notes for everybody so that we don't have to spend the rest of our conversation on human design because it is a, a really like specific conversation that we had. Um, yeah. But that's so interesting and it makes complete sense. And then yeah. I'm also curious about how you feel like you are leveraging your multi-passionate creativity in your life at this point. Uh, mm-hmm. What, where are your hands right now? What are you, what are you involved in that some people might look at and be like, oh my God, that's too much. But for you, it feels right. Yeah, I think, you know, I'm so grateful. And part of one of the exercises that I have my clients go through whenever they come to me feeling unsure whether or not being multi-passionate is a good thing is assigning a value to each of their passions so that we're not looking at your passions as like frivolous interests that are just there to distract you endlessly, but instead, excuse me, seeing your passions as something that holds these deeper values. And so I'm so grateful for all of my passions and my talents, because as a small business owner who is doing pretty much everything themselves at this point, I have so many skill sets that lend themselves so beautifully to my business. One of my passions is writing. Well, I get to write all the fucking time. (laughs) I'm writing emails. I'm writing website copy. I'm, you know, I'm writing and I'm writing a ton. I'm very passionate about using my voice. Well, I have a podcast and I love to use my voice in that way. 
you know, I, I don't know that I'm passionate about audio editing, but <laughs> I'm skilled enough and, and know what good audio sounds like to be able to edit my own podcast, um, to be able to pick my own podcast music, to know when it should fade in and fade out. My father's a music producer and I was, I grew up around music. So mm. I have that going for me. I also love to sing and I play the ukulele and on my podcast, I release interlude episodes where I skip talking and I sing instead. And that's just really fun for me. And I'm just like, hey, this week I'm singing to you. Here's a reminder. I'm multi-passionate. I get to do what I want. You can do this too. Enjoy the song. (laughs) Um, I love that. Yeah. (laughs) I share my music. Um, You know, I am so passionate about graphic design and beautiful visuals and just creating beauty in the world. And that has lended itself amazingly to my business. I design my own website. I do all of my graphics. I design my podcast cover art. Um, I just launched a new free digital magazine called Thrive Guide that's inspired by my coaching program. I do all of it. I love designing it. I love putting my written articles over there. So, I mean, when I think about how my passions have shown up for me, a lot of it is like my business, you know, a lot of it is just my passions have materialized into this business that I absolutely love and adore. And I love what I do every single day. And I know it's so cliche, but I'm not going to say it doesn't feel like work because selling and making sure that you have enough revenue and all those things that that is work. But allowing my creativity to be so present in my business i think is part of why my clients feel safe with me because they see that i'm not putting myself in a box if i'm singing on my podcast and creating a digital magazine you know um then they can see that i've given myself a lot of permission yeah it sounds like it sounds like you've gotten to this point where you're just unapologetic about who you are and the more you embrace your authenticity on a daily basis and trust that the the freer you get to be in what you create and what you put your attention to would you say that's true oh yeah a hundred percent because i mean you could say i'm teaching prioritization and focus and i and i am but underneath that is radical self-acceptance yeah. like choosing that as a multi-passionate you deserve to learn a way to prioritize that was created specifically for you by another multi-passionate person. You're only going to say yes to that experience if you already are like, I'm multi-passionate and I deserve this flavor of support. Yes. I deserve support that was created by someone who's like me for me. I'm not going to go and try to learn from a standard time management guru who's just going to talk, tell me at a time block or whatever, right? Like, So when my clients say yes, or even before they say yes, maybe they're just listening to the podcast and starting to implement some stuff there. But with every moment of like spending some time with me, there is a seed planted of radical self-acceptance and empowerment. Because if you don't believe that you deserve to be served and supported as a multi-passionate person, my work won't even appeal to you. Yeah. Like you will not even stay, you know, you'll be like, ah, no, this isn't for me. And I'm sure there's people who've been turned off by my work because they think like being multi-passionate is an excuse or it's just a joke or whatever. And that's fine because I'm not for them. Right. But no, you're absolutely right. It's just been, I think I sort of, 
I mean, I guess if I'm thinking about, you know, back to that moment in my 20s, my decision was, I'm going to accept that I'm multi-passionate and the very next decision was, and I'm going to start a blog. So I guess yeah. I kind of always needed something to channel it into. Well, I think and it's, it's the, just sort of snowballed. It sounds like it's this really deep belief system that you're speaking about for yourself and really instilling this in the clients that you support. And the example that keeps coming up in my mind and hearing you say all this is your mom having that conversation with you. And I'm sure it probably wasn't just one conversation, but just the empowerment that really came up in your story around how she laid this rock solid foundation for you or helped you lay that for yourself rather. Um, which God, that's so, that's so powerful because that really does, you know, we're talking about body image, um, in that example, but, that goes way beyond your physical skin. That's your mom saying, Hey, you get to be whoever you want to be. And you don't have to apologize for it. You don't have to please anybody else for it. You do you, um, unapologetically and, and really with this intention and self-trust that that's at least what's coming up as I'm hearing you share all of this. Mm -hmm. And another thing that my mom really instilled in me was to, speak up for myself and to have a voice. And I remember being maybe like 11, 12, you know, that age where like you get really opinionated <laughs> somewhere around there. Yes. And I remember my mom saying to me, you know, if you don't like a rule that I set or you don't like something that I say, I want you to tell me. Mm. And she positioned it in a way that was like, I'm an only child, right? So. That's another big part of my life that we didn't really talk about, but I'm sure has impacted all of this as well. So she would tell me, you know, you don't have a brother or a sister at school to stick up for you. You have to learn how to speak up for yourself. So she would say, practice at home with me. If there's something that I say that you don't agree with, I want you to tell me. She's like, it might not always go your way because I'm still your mom, but I want you to be able to use your voice. Mm. And I'm sure there were times where she regretted that <laughs> when I had a little too much sex. <laughs> ass or whatever but my mom really made it so safe for me to use my voice and when i tell you that there's no greater gift my mother has given me than that i am very assertive i have been able to speak up for myself in so many different scenarios i know how to communicate my needs clearly and that is from practicing as a kid with my mom yeah and having her tell me like this is important it is important for you to know how to speak up for yourself it is important for you to know how to advocate for yourself and not just telling me that and then telling me to be quiet all the time right like not creating this this hypocritical relationship around that advice but telling me that and then embodying that by saying you can you can talk back to me because I want you to use your voice, but just know it might not go your way. Yeah. But that level of opinion. respect from such yes. an early age, it sounds yes. like. What yes, a gift. Respect. What yeah. a gift. And I'm sure that comes through with the clients that you support as well, too, and mm -hmm. and how you empower them. And I, I think that is, I love that you use the word practice because I feel like communication skills require so much practice and repetition and, um, it's difficult a lot of times too, because like, like you're using in this example, your mom set the expectation that, Hey, 
speak your mind, it might not go according to how you want it. And it might be really tough getting the feedback that I'm going to say as a mom, but it takes practice and it, it takes like that physical skill or that emotional skill building that it sounds like you were able to cultivate. And now I'm, I'm sure can really create for your containers effortlessly. Um, Joy, let's talk about mental health because I know that this is also something that you're passionate about and an area that I think most multi-passionate creatives run into and are perplexed by. So my first, my first question that's kind of brimming in my mind is, have you ever hit burnout before? When do you know you're headed that direction with all of these things that you're passionate about and interested in and getting your hands into and just managing your time and whatnot? What, how do you keep a pulse on, on burnout? Yeah, I've definitely hit burnout before. And it came from feeling like being multi-passionate was a verb. Mm. Let me explain what I mean. (laughs) So, so remember how I was saying, oh, I was like, I was doing photography and I had an Etsy shop and I had this and I had that. So I did that for a while, but I slowly started to put things down because it was a lot. It was a lot for me to maintain all of it at once and kind of have multiple projects in the same stage at one time. Now I know that it's, I can definitely do multiple things like I am now. For example, I have a podcast and I have my digital magazine and I have my coaching program. Let's just use those three for like this example. Well, my coaching program, mainly what I do now is I show up twice a month like bi-weekly and I coach my clients. That's the main thing I do. I'm not building the program that's already done. I'm not scheduling out my community posts that was done in advance by an assistant that I had. You know, I'm not, I'm not like, it takes a lot less energy, but when I was building the program, when I was like creating the coursework that my students go through, when I was figuring out how I was gonna teach this method, I took a break from my podcast to do that. I was like, okay, season one's done. I'm going to build this program now. Then I came back to my podcast for season two. And I was like, hey, everyone, we're back. And also I have a new program. (laughs) And that worked out for me. But before I didn't know how to do that. This is what I teach now because it changed my whole life. And it made me enjoy being multi-passionate. And it made me feel so empowered. But before I didn't know how to do that, right? So... I definitely hit burnout and I remember feeling afraid to stop any of my projects because I thought that from the outside looking in, people would be judging me and thinking, but I thought you're multi-passionate. Why can't you do all these things at the same time? And I had to have a heart to heart with myself. And I came to the realization that I don't have anything to prove. Being multi-passionate for me is a way of life. I could have one project that I'm working on, that I'm focused on, and use so many of my different passions in that one project that I'm still showing up as the multi-passionate human being that I am. Yeah. And so I had to realize that I didn't want to trade one extreme for another. I had already decided I wasn't going to choose one thing, that I wasn't going to fall into that and feel like that was the only path for me. 
But what I ended up doing was going to the other extreme and feeling like I had to do everything very publicly to prove, look, I'm multi-passionate and it's working for me or whatever. So once I hit burnout, and for me, burnout, the way I describe burnout is you're so exhausted that if someone walks into the room and says, hey, you know what, you want to just give up and I'll just take all this away from you. Like you just won't have a business anymore. Let's just just give it up. I, I can take this from you. In that moment, you're like, you know what? Here you go. Yeah. That to me is burnout. You're like, yeah, take it. I don't even yes. want this anymore. I hear a lot of the example of like, I'm just going to go work at a bar in Mexico. <laughs> yeah. You're just like, you know what? Just I don't know take whose it idea it was to even start this, but yes. I'm not, I don't want to do any of this. And so, you know, um, I definitely have reached that edge. I will say I've only been burnt out one time. And that's because once I hit that rock bottom, I was like, never again. So what Never did you do again. differently? What, how did you get through that time? How did you, how long did it take to recover from that burnout? How did you take care of yourself and your business during that time? And what did, what did you really make sure you were doing differently going forward? Well, at that time, I didn't have the business model that I have now. I didn't have um, a, like a solid flagship coaching program. This is still pretty new, my coaching program. So I didn't have all that, but what, happened during that time was I learned my human design mm. and learning my human design. So anyone who learns their human design and who, especially who's a manifester or a projector or a reflector or any design with the open sacral, they're going to immediately be like, holy shit. Okay. I need way more rest that I'm giving myself. And so when I learned that I'm a manifester, and I learned that I'm here to initiate, but not necessarily have this steady, constant rhythm of like working all the time. And that it's not, I'm not, I don't have a terrible work. I used to think I had a horrible work ethic. Like what's wrong with me? How come I get excited in the beginning? And then I just want to like lay on the couch for three days. What's going on? And I realized I have to rest. That's a part of my process. I'm creating while I'm resting without even realizing it. Like that's just who I am. So learning my human design and then making the decision to live my life by my design, to experiment with my design. This is why in my program, all my clients learn their human design because it was so impactful for me. So um, that really changed everything for me. And because I now know my human design and I understand you know, my how to make decisions based on that and everything. It has just eliminated a lot of challenges in the areas of being burnt out because I'm able to say no to things. I create a schedule for myself. For example, one person might feel like in order to be a successful business owner, you wanna have a booked out calendar. There are a lot of people who, especially in the coaching industry, that's an indicator of success to them. That means that they're doing like discovery calls or they're having, um, what are they called? Like consultations or whatever with potential clients. And so having a booked out calendar for them is like, yes, things are working. And if there's no calls in the calendar, they start to panic and feel like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I don't have any inquiries. For me, if I have too many calls on my calendar, I become angry. Mm-hmm my manifestor anger starts bubbling up because I'm not here to like interrupt myself by being on a bunch of calls. That's not how my energy works. 
I have weeks during the month where I have calls a couple days during the week, and I have weeks during the month where I don't do any calls at all. I have days during the week that are just absolutely off limits for having any calls because I need uninterrupted time to create. So understanding these things about myself and then ruthlessly holding those boundaries. And again, it's like my mom teaching me to stand up for myself. I can hold a boundary. Mm -hmm. I can tell people no. I can set a boundary and say, that's not going to work for me. Or I can set a boundary with myself and say, I'm not doing more than two calls in one day because it's exhausting and it burns me out. It'll start to leak at my energy in a way that doesn't work. So really, it wasn't like one big change that I made, but it was a series of becoming really curious about myself, allowing human design to be the path through which I explore that curiosity making decisions based on what I was learning about myself. And sometimes, you know, to be honest, sometimes um, going back on those decisions, right? Like, oh, okay, I can do three calls this day. It won't be that bad. And then doing that and then feeling, okay, yeah, that was bad. I'm tired, right? I don't want to do that again. So some of it is not holding the boundary, feeling what that felt like, and then doubling down the next time. I don't want to give off this image of like, oh, it's just easy for me and I'm perfect because that's not true. But I just think of it as like almost like collecting data, like, okay, when do I feel the best? I feel the best when I don't have a bunch of calls and I have spaciousness to create. And then I have like one really meaningful call at the end of the week or something, you know, yeah. or like, like my call with you this week, this is my only call this week. Ooh, and I I'm feel like, so perfect. lucky <laughs> and because, and the only reason that we're on this call this week is because we rescheduled because it's a new moon week. And I actually have this blocked off on my calendar for no calls, mm. but we rescheduled. And that's why this is the only call I have this week. Yeah. So, you know, I, I know this is sort of like a, a roundabout answer, but it's hard for me to answer this in a way that's kind of like overarching because I no, think it's so it's, individual for it's each actually, person. Well, I think I think you're spot on. It sounds really clear to me and I've been hearing you accurately. It really just sounds like for anybody who's listening who might be interpreting what you're saying and trying to digest it for themselves, it's just knowing yourself and really approaching your life and your work schedule and your creativity with a really curious lens about when when you work best, how you work best, um, the amount, like the volume that you're speaking of and all of these things. I think that it's it's so natural for us to just be thrown into kind of a copy and pasted version of work because that's just the industrial version we've been taught from a really early age, most of us at least. And so being in a place where you're actually stepping back and getting very curious about, okay, if it's not this nine to five or this booked out calendar that I've been taught, then what is it for me? How do I work best? Where do I get my energy? How do I get my rest? How do I really produce effectively from that place of want and desire and passion versus should and obligation and resentment? Am I hearing you accurately around that? Absolutely. And there is one more thing I want to add as well, is that for me with having an open sacral and and please go listen to (laughs) please go listen to caitlin's human design episode everyone who's like what are you talking about just make sure you go listen but but, so let me i'll put it in layman's terms so as someone who so a human design manifester one of the biggest realizations for this particular design 
is that we're here to initiate, not necessarily to like work in the traditional way. So we're here to kick things off. And then it's helpful if we have like a community or a team or an assistant or someone who can kind of help us keep things going. But part of that is there's this desire through conditioning to want to always do more or to feel like we're not doing enough, right? Because it's like, how do you just be okay with like, well, I started this amazing thing and I told people about it and they're going to carry it the rest of the way. That's really, really tough. It takes some true like practice and experimentation to let that sink in. So alternatively, when you're operating out of conditioning, there is this default of like more, 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 more. I need to create more. I need to keep going. I need to keep going. Which if you're a generator or a manifesting generator or another type, that might be really, really accurate for you where you can create more and more and more and keep going because that feels good to you. For me, if I start feeling like I need to do more and more and more and more, that's a sign that my conditioning is kicking in. That's a sign for me to pause and go, hold on. I'm feeling like I'm not doing enough and that I need to do more and it doesn't feel grounded. It feels frantic. Mm -hmm. It feels like, oh, 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 okay, wait, like, all right, I didn't get any enrollments this week. Let me switch something up. What can I do? What can I change? I'm going to do more. I need to do more. And so a mantra that I have embraced, this is, this is so fresh. This is this week, Caitlin, like at the top of the week, I had this weird feeling that I'm not doing enough and I need to do more and I'm about to go on maternity leave and I need to like come up with some kind of like, I was just spiraling. I was like, what is going on? And so I had to take a breath and I gave myself a new thought. And that is everything I'm already doing is already working. Mm. Everything I'm already doing is already working. My job is to stick to the plan and continue on the path that I set out for myself to give it an opportunity to work even better. I don't need to add anything more. Everything I'm doing is enough. You know, you know, we, we've all heard that you are enough, right? But for me, really saying what I'm doing is already working. Yeah. And then that helps the universe go like, oh, okay, let me show you evidence that what you're doing is already working. And then <laughs> things just start working, right? And it's not about needing to do more. So I'll just say that that has really helped me curve burnout mm, as so well, good. is saying like, I'm already doing it. I'm already doing it. It's not about doing more or going faster because I'm already doing it and, you know, keeping track of like, yeah, I did a podcast episode came out this week. I had a great call with my clients this week. I connected with someone this week. Keeping track of what's already working yeah. is so helpful. Oh, I love that. And giving yourself that permission to celebrate what is working and what you've done and what you've accomplished. And even if it's not an, an actual metric, even if it's just, I got up this morning. <laughs> and mm -hmm. I'm, I'm allowed to celebrate myself because I'm a human being and I have a heartbeat and you're also doing way more than that as well too. But that's just that rabbit, that radical permission that is such a through line for you. Joy is so it's so empowering. So I'm really grateful that you're sharing all of that. Okay. Before we wrap up, um, I can't let you leave without hearing what your favorite way to make a decision is, because I think that's one of the things that can really um, paralyze a lot of entrepreneurs and multi-passionate creatives, whether you are an entrepreneur or not, entrepreneur or not is well, how do I know what to start or what to stop or what to say yes to, or what to say no to. And 
Do you have a favorite decision-making tool in your toolkit? Well, shocker, it's human design. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> okay, how do you use um, human design to make a decision? <laughs> so in human design, each type has what's called um, an authority or your inner authority. And that essentially tells you how to make decisions. So my authority is called emotional authority. And what that means is, if I'm really excited about something in the moment, that's actually not the time for me to make a decision. Mm, interesting. I yeah, I get to ride an emotional wave. So I get to feel the highs of it and the lows of it. And then when I come to neutral, that's when I make a decision. And so my mantra for this type of decision making is taking my time saves me time. Ooh, so good. When I take my time to make a decision, I can avoid lots and lots of mess cleaning up later. And uh, another way to put this, um, which we do in my program, this is something that my clients and I kind of came up with together, is I date my ideas before oh, I, I commit that. to that. So good. And so that can literally look like, so for example, I, I sort of, I mentioned this and I didn't get a chance to talk about it, but my, but my digital magazine that I came out with, I dated that idea for about three to four weeks before I said yes. And what that looked like was me feeling into what it would feel like to have this. Was it gonna be too much, right? Was I adding, just adding something else to my plate that wasn't necessary? What was its purpose? Asking those kinds of questions. But then I also like let myself be in the idea. I let myself date it. So I started looking at like templates that I might wanna use. And I designed a bunch of covers for it to kind of just get a feel for what it would be like. I um, I went swimming at a hotel pool and as I was swimming, I was just thinking about this magazine. And so I got out and I started writing down ideas and all of that happened before I even said yes to it. So I think that sometimes we feel like we have to say yes. And then especially as multi-passionates prove ourselves by committing right away. Mm -hmm. And you don't have to do that. You can date the idea you can give it some time and sometimes taking your time will save you time. So, whereas I might've thought, okay, I'm just gonna do this digital magazine series forevermore. I'm just gonna do a monthly series. I decided I was gonna do a 10 part series. And that really helped me because I realized, great, now there's a beginning to this project and an end. Oh, I love that. And after I have the 10, it doesn't mean people can't still subscribe because they're going to start at number one. And that's 10 months of nurturing from me. Like, how cool is that? And I only have to create them each one time. So I came up with that, but it took time to get there. At first, I was like, I'll just make one. And then I was like, oh, that's kind of boring. I don't want to just do one. And then I was like, well, I'll just do them every month. And then I was thinking, well, that has no end. That's not going to work. And so I landed on 10. And even now I'm like, Oh, why didn't I just say five? But, <laughs> but you know, I mean, I said 10 and, and so that's what I'm going to do. But yeah, that's my favorite way to make decisions is to slow the whole process down. Yeah. Oh, slow it down. so counterintuitive for what so many of us are taught and can really feel uncomfortable for so many of us because it bumps up against so many belief systems and having to prove ourselves, like you mentioned before. But that also is a through line that's really showing up in your story too, Joy, just this um, this getting away from needing to prove yourself to anybody, even if it does 
feel triggering at sometimes, but really just coming back to your own self-trust and your own foundation and making decisions from that place as well too. And that is always going to be in the best service for yourself, which will trickle out for the best service of others. I have no doubt at all. Um, I could talk to you for like probably five more hours, but I mm-hmm. want to be mindful of, of our time. And I know you are, um, your, your energy, especially being pregnant and whatnot. So wrapping up, where can everybody find you and hang out with you? We'll link everything in the show notes, but I just, I appreciate you and would love for everybody to get into your world. Yeah. Thank you so much for this conversation. This was really refreshing and I appreciate being able to start from the body and then connect it to um, so many other things. So thank you so much for facilitating this conversation. You can come hang out with me on my podcast. So if you're already a podcast listener, that's a great place to come and spend some time together. My podcast is called Multi-Passionate Mastery, and it is on all streaming services and also at multipassionatemastery.com. If you are curious about the whole concept of creating clear priorities as a multi-passionate and you want to learn my signature method for that, I have a free training that I would love your listeners to have access to. So we'll link to that in the show notes, but the website for that is multipassionatemastery.com slash free. And there you can learn my holistic approach to cultivating clarity. I do talk about human design in that training Awesome. (laughs) Um, and then how to create priorities and focus from there specifically as a multi-passionate person. And if you're curious about this digital magazine that I kept bringing up, then subscribe. It's free. It's really, really fun. You will see so many of my passions come to life through this magazine. And I really hope that that's inspiring for you if you're a fellow multi-passionate. And so we will link to that in the show notes so that you can subscribe website is multipassionatemastery.com slash thrive dash guide and i think that those are those are great places i'm not on instagram i left instagram um so oh my I god there i know we should have talked <laughs> okay, about that we gotta do a part two let's yeah. just let's wrap it up right there right there yeah. if you're open to it you're definitely coming back on the show yeah and, i'd love to talk about i mean we'll do a whole media. we'll do a whole episode safety. on safety yeah exactly okay yeah. Damn, yeah, I wish yeah. we had gotten into that next time. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah. Let's book it soon and, and we'll do it. Yeah. Yeah. Joy, you are such a delight. And I truly just appreciate all of the magic that you shared in this conversation and the person that you are and the work that you are just facilitating in the world. Thank you so much. We will definitely be in touch soon and we'll link everything in the show notes so everyone can connect with you and follow along your journey. But thank you so much. Sounds good. Thank you so much for having me, Caitlin. Thank you for being with us today. If you're not ready to leave the party and want to feel more comfortable in your skin, head to CaitlinParsons.com backslash kit and be sure to grab your copy of the Body Acceptance Starter Kit. I've curated my favorite books, podcast interviews, articles, and resources to help elevate your relationship with yourself from the inside out. That's CaitlinParsons.com backslash kit.